Good morning. If you want to open your Bibles, we're in Romans chapter 4. That's where we are in our study through the book of Romans. Let me ask a question. How many of you have had or currently have like a, a person that's a role model in your life? How many is that me? No, just kidding. Uh, someone you look up to, uh, someone you want to be like, someone whose footsteps you're trying to or you want to follow in. When I was growing up, my role model was my uh, older cousin, Chris. I played the same sports Chris did, I collected football cards like Chris did, I listened to the same music Chris did, I watched the same movies and TV shows that Chris did. I was reminded today as I saw a couple of our young lads running around here, I even asked my mom for a mohawk like Chris had. Uh, but as I, as I got older, uh, being like Chris wasn't the best idea. I can't go into the details on the grounds that it will probably incriminate me, but I've been hospitalized only once, and Chris was there. I've slept on a golf course only once, and Chris was there. I accidentally, underline accidentally, killed one cat in my life, and Chris was there. And so there when I stopped following in Chris's footsteps. Having a role model can be a positive or a negative experience depending on the footprints uh, they're leaving behind. Now in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is giving us a very positive role model to follow after. In verse 12 he writes, Walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. Paul's main point in Romans chapter 4 has been and continues to be that Abraham was justified by grace, by the grace of God through faith alone, apart from works, apart from ceremony like circumcision, apart from the law. Abraham was justified by faith. And we've been told to walk in the footsteps of his faith. Abraham, Paul says, is our role model of faith. And so, in our passage for today, Romans chapter 4, verses 17 to 22, Paul, I think, is describing the nature of Abraham's faith. The nature of what we're supposed to be following in. And the first thing we see, and that's our first point this morning, is Abraham had faith in God's presence. Abraham had faith in God's presence. In verse 16, just before 17, that's how the Bible works, uh, uh, Paul has just pointed out that Abraham is the father of all who share his faith. Then in verse 17, he writes, as it is written. So this is a, a proof. Looking back to the Old Testament, he's showing that Abraham is the father of all who share his faith. And he says, I have made you the father of many nations. God promised to make Abraham the father of multitudes. In fact, God says, I have made you, past tense, the father of many nations. Paul quotes this promise to show that Abraham is more than the father of the Jews. He's the father of all people who share the faith of Abraham, all people of faith. And then the first thing Paul says about Abraham's faith is in the presence of God in whom he believed. Paul emphasizes the presence of God. God was present in Abraham's life. And Abraham believed in God. First, he believed that God existed. 
But more than, than Abraham just believing God's, in God's existence, Abraham believed that God was a present reality in his life. Now this may seem basic, but this is where faith begins. It begins with believing that God is present. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We're drawing near to God. He's rewarding those who seek Him. We're believing in His existence by faith. And that pleases God. If we're to please God, then like Abraham, we, we must have faith. We must believe that God exists. But more than just believing in His existence, we must believe that God is present and that He interacts and that we can draw near to Him and that He rewards those who seek Him. God is a God of relationship. One of the best books I've ever read was a book on prayer. And, and I'm not going to talk about prayer, but the title of the book is The God Who Is There. That title summarizes what Abraham believed about God, that God was, that God is a present reality in his life, in our lives. Now you might say, well, that's fine for Abraham. It's probably, it really probably didn't even take much faith, right? Because God visited him and spoke with him on several occasions. And yes, that's true. God revealed himself to Abraham. But God reveals himself to all people. God reveals Himself to us as well. Remember back in Romans 1, 19-20 we read, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Speaking of humanity. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God, through His creation, and other ways as well. We're going to focus on creation, but there are other ways. Through transforming lives, through the resurrection of Christ, God has made His presence known. If we open our eyes, if we open our hearts, if we're honest with ourselves, we can see, we can clearly perceive His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature. There is a God. You could say creation is this flashing neon sign saying God is here. God is present. Believe in Him. God doesn't ask us to take uh, what so many talk about, a blind leap of faith. He only asks us to take a small step based on the evidence, the truth He provides. So the beginning of Abraham's faith and the beginning of our faith is believing not only in God's existence, but that He is a present reality. He's real, and therefore must be sought after, must be drawn near to. And so the first question uh, I want to ask us, it's simple. Do you have faith in the present reality of God? Do you believe God exists, and are you drawing near to Him? Are you seeking Him? Faith in God must result in the action of seeking after God. Seeking to know Him in greater ways. If God really exists, that needs to be our goal. Reaching out, drawing near, seeking God. I mean, think about it. God didn't just create the universe or or set the universe into motion and then sit back and watch what happens. That's what deism teaches. But the Bible teaches that God not only created, but He chose to enter into the creation. To enter into relationship. 
to enter into a fellowship with those He created in His image. With humanity, with men and women, to walk with them and fellowship with them. And this is ultimately seen, this is ultimately fulfilled uh, as Jesus Christ entered into our world. Jesus Christ, the God-man, who through the incarnation, through Him becoming man, became a present reality in our world. God became man. God became one of us. And now by God's grace, through faith, Jesus Christ can become a present reality in your life. All we must do is follow Abraham's footsteps. And in faith, seek Him. Invite Him in. Enter into relationship with Him. Jesus says to in Rome, Romans, not Romans, Revelation 3.20, speaking to the church, the church in Laodicea, and He says this to you and me, the church at Bridges and Riverside, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, be that present reality in your life. I will come in and eat with you and he with me. Jesus, the God-man, offers to be present in our lives, to become this present reality. And all we must do is in faith, open the door to our heart. Invite him in. Allow him to enter. Fellowship with him. Like Abraham, we must first have faith in the presence of God. And second... Abraham had faith in God's power. Abraham believed in God's presence and in God's power. Verse 17 continues, In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham had faith in in one who gives life to the dead and one who calls into existence the things that don't exist. Abraham believed in an all-powerful God. A God who had the power over life and death who could bring back the dead from life, who had the power of resurrection. And Abraham believed in a God who could create. A God who had the power to speak into existence that which didn't exist. Who has the power to make something from nothing. God alone has the power of creation. Uh, The God of Abraham, the God that Abraham believed in, was a God of resurrection and a God of creation, a God of power. There are two basic questions that that human beings have been asking since the dawn of time. First, we ask, how did I get here? How was I created? And second, we ask, where am I going? Where am I going when I die? Is there life after death? Is there resurrection? And God not only has the answer to these questions, but He has the power over these areas. He has the power to create. God created you. He gave you life. Out of nothing, He created the universe. And out of death, He resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, God's power is seen in other ways as well. Signs and and wonders and miracles transform lives. But the creation and the resurrection are, are really these two major manifestations of the power of God. And they point to His omnipotence, His all powerfulness. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, God asks this rhetorical question. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. I'm the creator of all things. Is there anything too hard for me? God is the Lord, the creator of all things. Is anything too hard for Him? He's the creator, therefore He can do all things. 
I've heard it said, and, and I believe, uh, uh, the, if you believe the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then everything else is a piece of cake. If God can create and did create all things, then nothing else is too hard for God. And like creation, the resurrection also displays the power of God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? The resurrection of, of Jesus Christ reveals the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Abraham believed in, in a God of limitless power. So the question for us, for each of us, is do, do you, do I believe not only in God's presence, but in His power? Do you believe He's the Creator of all things? Do you believe He has the power over life and death? Do you believe that He brought Jesus back from the dead and that He will bring us back as well? When we're at church together, I mean, I didn't ask, so I was going to ask, can I get an amen for that? Yeah, all right, so... Now that follows. When we're at church, we say yes. We say amen to that. We believe in this powerful God. But what about in our, in our daily lives? What about when we leave this place? When we face difficulties and suffering and hardship? Do the Christians in, in Houston believe that God is present and powerful? Would you believe in, in God's presence and power if your home, your, your, your life, in a sense, had been wiped out? I was listening to radio this morning, and uh, it wasn't encouraging. It was people from, people from five years ago, from Hurricane Sandy, were talking about, this is the easy part. I mean, the flood, it, it just gets worse. The, the rebuilding and the trying to get the finances and, and just the, all the hardship that's ahead. Do you believe in God's presence and power in those times? Or what about when you're just having a, a bad day? In those times... Do you believe in God's presence and power that, that the God who is present in your life has the power to get you through these difficult times? Really, the question is, how does or does your belief in the presence and power of God impact the way you live? That's what Paul's going to tell us. That's the picture he's going to give us in the life of Abraham. Abraham believed in God's presence in God's power, and this enabled him to believe and live based on God's promises. That's the third des description of Abraham's faith. Abraham had faith in God's promises. Here's the logic. If God were not present, if God did not exist or, or had removed himself, if he didn't care about uh, people, or if God was not all-powerful, then His promises would be in doubt. But since God is present, since God chooses out of love to enter into our lives, uh, to call us to Himself, call us to draw near to Him, and God is all-powerful, then God's promises are a surety. An all-powerful being who loves us is, is giving us promises. They're sure promises. We can have faith like Abraham in God's promises. As we looked at the life of Abraham over the past couple weeks, and if you've looked at Abraham's life at other times, we've seen that God makes uh, many promises to Abraham, a number of promises. We, we won't review those here at this, 
at this time. We saw one in verse 17. And this is really the promise that that, uh, Paul is focusing in on to talk about Abraham's faith. In verse 17, we, we read, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. This promise was given to Abraham uh, when Abraham was 99 years old. He had been promised a great nation when he was uh, in his 70s. Now he's 99 and, and God ups it. You know, Not only are you going to be the father of a nation, you're going to be father of a multitude of nations. And God promised that, that he would have a son, that he would be a, the father of a multitude of nations through a son that would come through his wife, Sarah. In Genesis 17.5, God says to Abram, actually, No longer shall you be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God changed his name from Abram, which means exalted father, not a bad name, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So this is the promise, and he sealed it in his name. So this is the promise that Paul's going to focus on. And in verse 18, Paul begins to describe Abraham's faith in this promise. He says, in hope, he believed against hope. That he he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. In hope, uh, again, the biblical hope, surety. Abraham believed the promise that he would become the father of many nations, even though his situation was, in human terms, hopeless. But Abraham's faith was in the presence of an all-powerful God to keep his promises. Therefore, verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered. Abraham wasn't, uh, he didn't like close his eyes to the problems when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. God had promised that Abraham would be the father of many nations through his wife Sarah. But for this promise to be fulfilled, he had to father a child by Sarah. And naturally speaking, this was hopeless. Uh, Some would say ridiculous. Some would say laughable. And Abraham did laugh at this, and we'll talk about that in a second. Abraham's body was as good as dead, and his wife was barren. Abraham was impotent, and Sarah was 45 years past menopause. His only hope was that God would uh, keep his promise miraculously, that God would interact, that God would uh, bring life where there was only death, that God would bring life to his body and place life in the dead womb of Sarah. And Paul says, he, Abraham, did not weaken in his faith. Verse 20 continues, although Abraham knew all these, he considered, he's thinking about these overwhelming obstacles, he trusted God to do as he had promised. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Abraham didn't waver. No unbelief entered his heart. His faith overlooked the obstacles and focused on the presence and the power of God who fulfills his promises. Not only did Abraham not waver, but Paul writes, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham's faith in the promises of God was not not stagnant. It grew. It increased. The more he came to understand about God's presence and God's power, I think the more Abraham drew into relationship with God, the more faith he had in God's promises. His relationship with God became this this anchor for his faith. He was fully convinced 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that God would do as he promised. Abraham's faith was not perfect. Paul kind of makes it sound pretty perfect, which is a little bit encouraging, right? As we, as if you know Abraham's story, you know he did some dumb stuff. But it's kind of encouraging. As we, as, as we reflect back, Paul says, this guy didn't waver. No unbelief. I hope that's true for us, because I've messed up. I hope in the end God will say, and he, he, he had good faith. Abraham's faith wasn't perfect. He had moments of doubt. But Paul is speaking, really, I think, of his overall character of faith. Ultimately, Abraham always had faith in God's presence, God's power, and God's promise. And this resulted in God being glorified. He glorified God by trusting in Him. When we take God at His word, we make Him look good. We bring God glory. Glorifying God means showing by how we live that our God is awesome, that our God is great. God is glorified when we step out in faith and we trust in Him to do what He's promised. When we in faith obey Him as, as if His promise is a done deal. Let me, let me give you an example of, of how our faith in God our faith in God and His promises brings Him glory. In, in my small group this week, we were talking about uh, faith and finances. We were sharing how God had been faithful to His promises. Each, each one of us, really. When we obeyed His command to give financially, that God had been faithful to His promise. Uh, we, speaking of His promise in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. One person shared how at first, when they first were a believer, they didn't think they would, were able to give. They couldn't give uh, uh, to the Lord because, because their situation wouldn't allow it. When they got to the end of the month, no money left to give. However, they said, once they trusted God, they, they, dawning, understanding came, and they began to give faithfully first, at the beginning of the month, God was faithful. And they made it to the end of the month just fine. They paid their bills. They fed their family. God supplied their every need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And in living this way, giving generously, having faith that God will supply your needs, God is glorified. Because it shows how much we value God's commands, how much we're willing to obey God's commands, and it shows God's greatness in being faithful to His promises. And our finances is just one example. In every area of life, when we trust God's presence his power, and His promises, when we step out in faith, especially in what the world might see as a, as a hopeless situation, especially when we step out of our, our comfort zone, especially when we're willing to take a risk, that's when God is glorified, when He shows up, when He does things that we wouldn't normally do, when we couldn't do, when we, when we take on uh, uh, challenges that are beyond us, and God shows up, and He and he works. We're showing how, how great he is by, by our willingness to trust in his presence and his power and his promises. So how can you, how can I, believing God's promises, step out in faith and bring him glory? Are you like Abraham, maybe facing a, a hopeless situation? Are you facing a major obstacle in your life? 
Are, are there things that seem dead to you? Uh, relationships? Possibilities? And are these promises that God has given you? Are there promises God has given you that you need to trust in Him for? Now let me give a quick warning uh, about promises. We've talked about promises in general. I want us to make sure we understand uh, promise, the promises you are believing in must be promises from God. Having faith in the promises you invent yourself is not faith at all. It's just wishful thinking. Abraham could have faith in the promises of God because they were from God. God spoke them to him. Make sure you're not trusting God and telling people what God will do for you in areas that God has never promised. I've known, uh, sadly even, terminally ill people who said they believed God has promised to heal them. And when they weren't healed, when they died, instead of bringing glory to God, it left people questioning God's presence, His power, and His promises. So make sure the promises you're believing in are from God. And the best way, the surest way to do that is to focus on the promises God gives in His Word. The Word of God is filled with, and if you need promises outside of the Word, I'm I'm not sure how that works because it encompasses so much stuff. The Word of God is filled with promises that we can and should trust God for. None greater than the promise uh, we looked at last week, if you were here, that those who have faith in Christ will be heirs of the world will be given all things in Christ. The promise that God has secured our eternity in Christ should impact how we live in spite of the difficulties of this life. That's what we talked about last week. But God also gives us promises for this life. We've just seen the promise that He'll supply every need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That should impact our view uh, and our actions with regards to how we live in this world. Knowing that God will take care of us. One of my favorite, all-encompassing promises that, that God makes found in Romans 8.28, maybe familiar to many. And we know that those who love God, excuse me, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. What more could we ask for? God has promised to those who love Him, to those who He's called according to His purpose, I would add... That category encompasses those who have faith in His presence and His power and His promises. God has promised that He will work all things, even hopeless things, even dead things, even difficult things, even painful things, tragic things, even terminal illness and death things for our good. This is an amazing promise. It should impact how we think and how we live. And we could go on, listing promises from God's Word and how they should impact us. But as I close, I just want to focus on the promise that Paul has been driving home since chapter 3, verse 20. The promise at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 4.22, after Paul has described the faith of Abraham, Paul ends the section by saying, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness because he believed in the presence and the power and the promises of God. And the same thing has been promised to you and to me. 
In Romans 3.21, Paul wrote, We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's greatest promise is justification, uh, being counted, that we're counted righteous. We're not righteous, but we're counted righteous, that we're saved by grace. And that promise is given to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the promise that when believed results in our redemption, our redemption, our, 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 our being bought back out of the power of sin and being saved. And today we're going to picture this, this faith in this particular promise in two ways. First in communion. Communion is a picture of how God fulfilled the promise of justification by grace through faith. He did it by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken. His blood was spilt for you and for me. On the cross, He became uh, the sacrificial substitute. And He purchased our righteousness, our justification. On the cross, the presence of Christ through the power of God fulfills the promise that we can be justified by faith. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we remember in communion. So first, communion pictures the fulfillment of God's promise of justification by faith. And we need to remember that. That's why we do that all the time. Once a month we do it here and maybe we do it in other places as well. Remembering the fulfillment of the promise through Christ. And second, following communion will witness the baptism of, of two people. These two people through baptism are saying, and the, the baptism is picturing that they have faith in God's presence and His power and His promises. Their baptism will symbolize their identification with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. It's an outward sign that they have faith in God's promise to justify them by grace in Christ Jesus. So as you participate in communion, and as you uh, witness baptism, and, and then as we leave this place and return to this, our world, the world that we live in, I would encourage you to follow in the footsteps of Abraham. Footsteps of faith. To have faith in God's presence. Trust that God is a present reality in your life today. That by grace through faith, God has entered into your heart that you can draw near to Him, that He rewards those who seek Him. Enter into relationship with God. And once you've done that, you have promises. And therefore, you can have faith in His power to fulfill those promises. All of His promises given to you. So no matter what you're facing, you can know that if you love God, if you have embraced His presence in your life, let me put it that way, that God in all His power, is at work for your good. That's an amazing promise to think about. That God is at work in your life for your good. No matter what the circumstances, He's orchestrating it for your good and for His glory. Because as we react properly, as we trust in Him, He's glorified. So would you pray with me as Tom comes to to lead us in communion and then as we uh, participate in baptism. Lord, Lord God, just thank you for this day and for your word. Thank you for the role model of Abraham that we can follow, that he demonstrates what it means to have faith. Lord, and I pray we'll, we'll study that, we'll know that, we'll look at that, Lord, and, and that through that you would make your presence known to us. Lord, that we would step out 
in faith and trust in you. Lord, that we would know that our faith wouldn't waver. We would know that you're, you're all-powerful and that you're at work in our lives. You've promised us to care for us. You've promised to love us. You've promised to be there for us, to be with us, Lord. Help us to trust in those things and help that to impact how we live, that our lives would be glorifying and honoring to you in Christ's name. Amen.